You're here on a great Sunday because we are jumping in this morning to a brand new series called A Better Treasure. A Better Treasure. This is the kind of fourth installment, if you will, of the larger series where we've been for the last year called The Uncommon Kingdom. And so we started last August uh, with this giant series called The Uncommon Kingdom where we were navigating through the Sermon on the Mount. And we called it The Uncommon Kingdom because in the Sermon on the Mount, there in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, not only one do we see the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher ever, and that's Jesus, but what we really see is the King of our kingdom, Jesus Christ, teaching us as citizens of his kingdom how to walk in a way that sets us apart. How do kingdom citizens live because of what Christ has done for us? What is our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven actually look like lived out in our everyday life? That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. And so we've jumped into uh, this, this next installment called A Better Treasure because, again, Jesus is going to continue to show us how our lives look different when we belong to him. When we have a kingdom vision, our lives look different. We operate with a new standard, new expectations. And Jesus actually says, when you belong to me, when you belong in my kingdom, you operate with a whole new standard of righteousness. He said, now the world and even, even religion will tell you righteousness should look like this. And, but what I say is, it should be exceeding righteousness. So when the world says don't murder, I say don't be angry. When the world says don't commit adultery, I say don't lust. Right? When the, when the world says do not swear in allegiance to something else, I say just love the Lord above everything. You see how he's, he's operating with this new standard of righteousness, and he calls it exceeding righteousness. We see that. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, thank you, Lord. I have heard your voice and I will obey. Now is the time to sing, apparently. (laughs) Oh, listen, that was fun. All right. So (laughs) we cause this exceeding righteousness, this difference between how we live and how the rest of the world operates. And we get that from Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, where Jesus kind of gives us the heartbeat of the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this, For unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the, of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll ne- what is he saying? He is saying, that the righteousness we receive in Christ that makes us a citizen of the kingdom of God becomes in us an exceeding righteousness lived out through us. And I want you to hear me this morning. That righteousness of Christ that we have leaves no part, no part of our life untouched. No part of our life untouched by the work of Christ in us. And so this morning... This, this new series, uh, uh, as we go through the uncommon kingdom called A Better Treasure, is going to be looking at, um, Jesus is teaching us what it looks like for us to treasure the kingdom of God, to treasure God himself and the person of Christ above everything else in our life. And so we're going to see this kind of in the back half of Matthew chapter 6. He's teaching us what this righteousness is in us when it transforms how we view and deal with the things of this world, particularly with our possessions 
and our money. That's where he's going to talk next. So Matthew chapter 5, verse, uh, Matthew, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 19 is where we're going to be. Now, money's always a fun thing to talk about at church because we're all very open to the Lord speaking into this area of our life. We, we're all very obedient here. Very, you know what I'm saying? We're always, we come in and hope every Sunday we get to talk about money, right? Well, you picked a great one because that's what we're doing today. And so, um, but when you think about money, this is a powerful thing in our life, isn't it? So I, I read an um, article this week, and you may have seen this at some point in the past. A guy did a poll, and he asked people, what would you be willing to do for $5 million, okay? Now, Pastor George, that's a quite a bit of money, all right? Now, I have all of my life been willing to do some really dumb things for way less than $5 million, okay? If somebody had a $20 bill, they could get me to almost do anything when I was in high school. I mean anything. And so, but they started asking, because, well, first of all, $20, Ray, is still a lot of money to me. You know what I mean? That's real money. And so, he asked, what would you be willing to do for $5 million? I've got $5 million bucks. I'm going to put it on the table. What would you do to take that? Here, here were some of the responses. Some of them were so wheels off, I, could, I couldn't mention them. But some of them were, um, I would be willing to spend significant time in a federal prison for $5 million. I thought, do y'all know what happens in prison? Ain't nothing in there worth $5 million. I promise you that. <laughs> nothing is in there worth $5 million bucks. Uh, some of them were, I would move to a country, not of my choosing, where no one spoke English for $5 million and spend the rest of my life. I'm like, no, it must be, I'm not doing that. Uh, one of them was, um, I would spend the rest of my life never seeing or speaking to my best friend for the rest of my life. Now that one kind of made me sad, but a bunch of people said, I'll do that for $5 million. You betcha. I'll just find, a, I'll buy a new friend. Um, <laughs> This is the one that messed me up, y'all. And so I had to say it. Uh, way too many people said they would be willing to throw the family pet off a cliff for $5 million. Come on now. Just punt Fido right into the canyon. Five million bucks. I was like, no, mm -mm. Seriously, that's horrible, right? 1%, so 99% said no to this. 1%, this, this just speaks to the depravity of the human person. We are so messed up. One percent of people said for five million dollars, I would have my tongue surgically removed from my mouth. And I was like, come on now. Come on. Now, almost everybody said that they would throw rotten fruit at their least favorite politician for free. So that felt better. I felt better about that. It's like, okay, now, now that feels like my people all of a sudden, right? But this is powerful. And while these responses, I think we hear those and we go, that is ridiculous. The truth is, this money ha is a very powerful thing in our life. And this was a subject, honestly, that was very important to Jesus. It's very important to Jesus. How do I know that? Here's why. Because Jesus spoke more about money, ready, than he did heaven and hell combined. <laughs> that blew my mind this week. I didn't hear the gasp, but my, I'm telling you, I went, what? Yeah. More than heaven, hell, prayer, fasting, anything else, he talked about money. Why is that? Because Jesus understands that when it comes to the issue of money, there is something uniquely dangerous for us. There's something uniquely dangerous for us around this 
issue. And listen, God speaks about money so much, not because he cares about money. He already owns it, right? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He didn't care about money. He cares about our hearts. And the issue of money is nothing less than a battle for the affection of our hearts. And that's why Jesus deals with this issue. That's why it comes up so much in Scripture. So I want us to let Jesus frame this for us this morning, all right? So let's dive in and see what Jesus has to say about this powerful issue, all right? So grab your Bibles. We're in Matthew 6. We're going to start in verse 19. This is Jesus speaking, and he says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? For no one can serve two masters. For either you will hate the one, he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So before, and I feel you doing it, before you pull away this morning, come on, let's just, come on, lean back a little bit. You know that we're going to deal with this issue. I want you to hear me say this. One, I recognize this is a difficult issue. This is a hard thing to talk about. It feels very personal, right? It's a difficult issue for us. So I want you to know we're going to have a a level playing field this morning. Today is not about condemning anyone. Today is not about uh, me acting like I've got this thing all figured out. We're going to level the playing field and acknowledge this. No one does this perfectly. We all need direction. We all need correction. And we all need grace. Can we just say that? We all need direction. We all need correction, and we all need grace. And the reason we're going to deal with it is because I think, um, even though we would never say it this way, we tend to build lives that live as if this is a reality. Right here, this is our reality. We're going to take everything with us when we go. We got a U-Haul behind the hearse, baby, and we are moving on up to glory land with everything we bought while we were on it. Now, you look at that and go, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And First of all, that's a real thing. That was not staged. That's somebody's life right there. But you look at that and go, as silly as that is, here's the reality. We actually build lives as if this is what it happens, as if this is, this is our reality. And so let's just acknowledge we've all misused, we've all mismanaged our money at some point. Listen, I, I, I just got to tell you before we wade into this, um, Carrie and I know what it is to struggle, okay? We know what it is for a check to bounce. We, you, anybody remember writing checks? Remember when we used to do that as a, as a species? We don't anymore, but we used to write checks. And anybody have the unique pleasure, like me, of one of them bad boys bouncing like a dodgeball in a gym? You bet it, buddy. <laughs> oh, son. Not, and, or, or how about this? When you're going to check out at Walmart... And that, that debit card goes in, and his fingers crossed, baby. Oh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Woo! 
50-50 shot. Maybe it's going to work. I better put this Dr. Pepper back. Go get some Dr. Thunder. I don't know if I'm going to make it. <laughs> Y'all know. Hey, I've had my water turned off. I'll tell you that right now. I've had to call him and be like, look, I need the water to come on. I got to bathe. I'm going to put $30 down on this bill. I need you to go ahead and turn this water back. I know what that is, okay? So we've stubbed our toe. We've done more than stub our toe. We've fallen flat on our face uh, more than once around this issue. So hear me say, my heart needs correction and direction and grace. So we just all need that together. And so I want us to let Jesus shape for us a kingdom vision for our possessions and our money. And I want you to hear me this morning. He wants to do that. He is here to help us do that. But there's a reason why I prayed that we would put our yes on the table, that we would remember that all our life he's been faithful, all our life he's been good, and that we would respond with a yes to his faithfulness so that as we open his word to deal with what can be difficult, we would open it saying, Lord God, whatever you want to do in my life around this issue, my answer is yes. It's yes. I will say yes to you. So that's why I want us to do this. So what does it look like to see these things through kingdom eyes? What does it look like to... Um, Answer the question, how do I have a kingdom perspective of my money? And I think there's three things that we see from these verses that Jesus teaches us this morning. Three things that happen when we live with a kingdom perspective of our money and our possessions. Here's the first one. When we do this, we actually discover a treasure that really matters. We discover a treasure that really matters. Look at what he says in verse 19. He says, do not lay up for yourselves... Treasures on the earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Do, do you hear that first kind of warning from the Lord here? You hear that first caution that He's given us? He has given us a caution about loving money and prioritizing it above everything else in our life. There is a clear caution we're hearing from the power of money. Jesus says that this out of line view of money, where we are focused only on the here and now. While it promises life and happiness, what it actually delivers is destruction. That's what he says in verse 19. Money will always overpromise and underdeliver every time, every time. It will always overpromise and it will always underdeliver. So I think the heart, what Jesus is trying to say here is this. If you have money and you have built a life that is completely dependent upon it and you have built a life that is, that is always wanting more of it, Jesus says you are inviting destruction into your life. But hear this, he's also saying if you don't have money, and you have built a life that is constantly craving it over other things, you are inviting destruction into your life. That's the truth he's teaching us. Now, I don't want you to jump to the wrong conclusion. Jesus is not saying you can't have any money, okay? He's not, he's not saying that. He's not saying you, you can't have a home or 
or a car or have a good paying job that pays you well. As a matter of fact, God's word teaches us a workman is worthy of his hire. He isn't saying you can't do this. He's saying you can't have a good job. He isn't saying you can't own a business or, or own some land or anything like that. He isn't saying don't save for retirement. That's not what he's saying. When he says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, what he's communicating to us is, unless we are using all of those things, the home, the business, the retirement, the land, the property, every dollar we have, unless we are using all of those things and leveraging them for the kingdom of God, ultimately we're going to discover they have no value. They have no value if they aren't being leveraged for the kingdom. And that's why Jesus is saying, of everything I've given you, don't turn and turn that into treasures amassed on earth, because earthly treasures will not last, will ultimately be worthless. But listen, the enemy is very, very crafty around this issue, very crafty. And there is a lie he has unleashed into our culture but not just into our culture, there's a lie he has unleashed into the church and among God's people, and here's the lie. The lie is that enough money will make me feel secure, will make me feel satisfied, and will make me feel significant. That's the lie he whispers in the culture and even as I say that, with me, I know there are many of you in here saying, oh, I've believed that lie. I've believed the lie that a little bit more will make me feel secure. Yeah, I've, I've <laughs> believed that. I've believed the lie that a little bit more will make me feel satisfied or make me feel significant. That's the lie he's whispered in. And listen, while none of us would say we, we, we've, we set money up as a God in our life, when we look to this, when we look to our possessions and money and, and all of that to provide for us lasting security or meaningful significance or any measure of satisfaction, that is exactly what we turn it into. We turn it into a God. Because we are asking the kingdom of this earth to give us what only the kingdom of heaven can. And Jesus is, is putting this caution out there. So how does he reshape our view? How does he correct that vision? Look at verse 20. He says, this is what a kingdom citizen, where a kingdom citizen ought to invest. This is how they ought to see this. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says his people are to... Invest, save, spend, own, and view everything they have with the kingdom of heaven in mind. That's what he's telling us. Everything is forfeit for the kingdom of heaven. Now, just consider for a moment who's actually saying this. This is the Lord God of the universe speaking this over our life. And why does that matter? Because you and I see what's right in front of us, right? We see the, the bill that's due, the car that needs repaired, the savings account that people we know the bankers laugh at. They look at it and go, that's cute. We see it. We know it, right? I know that that's there. And, and we see that. But Jesus not only sees that, he sees all of your life. 
He, see what's, he sees what's coming next in your life that you don't see. He sees the full arc of your story inside the greater arc of eternity. And this is the Lord God who sees all of your days, not just today. He sees all of your children's days and all of your grandchildren's days. And he is saying, with me being able to see the full arc of eternity, the very best use of your time and your possessions and your money and your energy and your resources is not in this kingdom. It's in the one that's coming. That's what he's teaching us here. It is in the kingdom of heaven. So what does it mean to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven? What does that mean? What does it mean to invest in the kingdom of God? That's really what Jesus is teaching us here. I think God's Word lays out several things. Uh, and, and really, this one question, what does it mean to lay up treasures in heaven, could be its own separate series of, of sermons. Um, but I want to pare it down so that we can really focus in and be practical. I think the first way that God calls His people, that's us, His kingdom citizens, to reshape our view and to to invest with the kingdom of heaven in mind, that first obedience we find in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, and that is the tithe. We find it in the tithe. Well, what is a tithe? We've heard that word. What does it mean to tithe? We hear that. It's very church language. What does that actually mean? A tithe is when we give a portion, give back to God through the church, a portion of what he has given to us. It is, when, when we, it is when we give back to God through his church a portion of what he has entrusted to us. Now, Malachi chapter 3, we know it sets it as a 10% tithe, 10% of your income. And you and me, you hear that word and you go, that can't be true. You're telling me 10%? Yeah. Well, why, why, does it, why does God's word command us to do that and why should we do it? One, because it's obedience. The Lord God said, this is what you do. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. So just as an act of obedience to the God who's been faithful, to the God who's been good, right, that we just sing about, we step into this moment of obedience. But listen, there's, there's two other things that I think are critically important to consider when we talk about the tithe, and it's this. Here's the first thing. Um, when we tithe, it is a beautiful reminder that God owns it all. Now, it is very easy for us in a general sense to say, well, yeah, God owns it all. He owns everything, right? We can say that. But what about when we change the language and we say what that actually means is God owns every dollar I have. I don't own it. Oh, that feels, I didn't like, I like the first way you said it. The second way I didn't like as much, right? God owns every dollar. All of my money belongs to God. And when I give this tithe, it is a reminder to me that what I am given isn't really mine. I'm just a steward of it. He has entrusted it to me to steward it for his glory. That's the, hi the highest measure of every dollar I have. When it reaches its full potential will be when I've stewarded that dollar for the glory of God. So it, it reminds us that God owns it all. Here's the other thing it does. 
When we, when we set a, a, a healthy rhythm of the tithe, it is an act of faith. It's an act of faith. What do I mean by that? When you tithe, you are intentionally creating space in your life and in your finances for the Lord God to get involved. That's what you're doing. You're creating space for the Lord to get involved in your finances. Because when I give my tithe, what I'm doing is I'm saying, okay, Lord, I really need 100% of my dollars. Matter of fact, I need like 150% if you can make that happen, but I really need 100%. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to be obedient to this because you said in Malachi chapter 3 that if I give this tithe, he says, you said to put you to the test and see if you will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing on me until there is no more need. So I'm going to do an act of faith. I'm going to put that out there and trust that you're going to meet my every need. It's an act of faith. It's saying, Lord God, I'm going to step out in obedience here and trust that your word is true when it says you really will supply all of my needs according to your riches and glory. I'm going to trust that that's true. So it's this, it's this act of faith. And I want you to hear me this morning. I know this is difficult, especially if you've never done it. I know it. I know it. But you will find more satisfaction and fulfillment and joy. You will find your money doing more and going further in your life when you create this room for God to get involved. Why? Because what you've done is you've on purpose said, I'm going to invite the God of miracles to breathe miracles into my life. I'm just going to invite him to come do it. And how small of a life is it that I build when I say I have to build a life that I can manage, that I control, where everything is within my grasp. That is such a small life compared to the life of abundance that he promises in John chapter 10, compared to the life of overflowing that he promised in Malachi chapter 3, compared to living a life that is utterly rejoicing in the riches of heaven being poured out. God, let me make room for you to get involved because you are an infinitely better steward of my dollars than I am. That's what this is. Sorry I yelled at you. Let's move on. So th- th- this is what that is. But listen, so this is, I believe, the first kind of way we wade out into the water of tr- laying up treasures in heaven. But not only is it about the tithe, it's about simply living generously, living open-handed, giving to people who are in need, giving with no expectation of anything being given back to us, you know? It, it, it's, it's giving to uh, uh, nonprofits that have a kingdom vision, right? We're going to be partnering later this year with Compassion Ministries. That is a kingdom-minded ministry. And when we do, I want all of us to get involved. Why? Because they have a kingdom vision and we should live generously this way. It's, it's, it's doing those things. But laying up treasures in heaven, while it is about what we do with our money and our possessions, 
It's about above that as well. And here's what I mean. Every act of obedience you take as a citizen of the kingdom of God is laying up for you treasures in heaven. Every moment of obedience in your life as a kingdom citizen is, is, is investing in the kingdom of God. What do I mean by that? I mean, when we endure persecution, when we love our enemies, when we pray in secret, when we fast, when we forgive, when we share the gospel, when we endure insults, those moments are laying up treasures in heaven. So that's what that means. When God, when we open that room for him to reshape our view, and he gives us a kingdom vision, we get to see the greater treasure. And the more clearly I see the treasure of the kingdom of heaven, the less glamorous the kingdom of this earth looks. But when this is the only thing I'm looking at, it looks amazing. It looks amazing. So how do I shape that and reshape that? I get my eyes on the better treasure. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing that happens when we have this kingdom perspective of our possessions and, and everything we own. We begin to discipline ourselves to guard this treasure. What do I mean by that? Well, look at verse 22 and 23. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So I find it really interesting that right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about money. <laughs> but I find it even more interesting that right in the middle of talking about money, he talks about the eye being the lamp of the body. What, what is he talking about? I think the point here is very simple. It's this. That as kingdom citizens, we must stand guard over the treasure we've discovered in Christ. How do we do that? Through the discipline of keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus and seeing him as supremely valuable. That's how we do it. Jesus talks about the eye. He uses the metaphor of the eye here because he knows that when the eye of our heart sees everything through a kingdom lens, it gives light and life to our entire lives. When we see him as supremely valuable, because as, we, as our eyes are fixed on Jesus, we are then filled up with the light of his goodness. We are filled up with the light of his generosity. We are filled up with the light of his sovereignty, trusting that he is in control of this whole thing. We are filled up with the light of our utter dependence on him, and it becomes our joy to be there. A kingdom vision of your finances will ultimately give you and remind you of your place of utter dependence on God. And in that place, it will be your joy to be there. It'll actually be your joy to be dependent, to know that you need him. You need him to move. You need him to meet you there. And if he doesn't, you're not going to survive. But I want to be in that place where I am in perpetual, utter dependence on 
God. And that's what he means, that the healthy eye looks to Jesus and sees him as supremely valuable and supremely satisfying. And the unhealthy eye, but the unhealthy eye will shift away from that vertical view of Jesus to a horizontal view of this world. And Jesus says, in that moment, you've invited in the darkness. You've invited in the darkness. When you start to look to the world around you, when you start coveting what your neighbor has, when you start looking at what you don't have, that's when the darkness begins to creep in. So we have to war for this. We have to be disciplined here. We have to, we have to guard this treasure. We have to war against the joy-killing rut of thinking that what we have is not enough. Boy, that's tough. That's hard. There is a, a way of thinking that creates a rut in our life. And the longer we're there, the deeper the rut and the more difficult it is to get out. And it's a joy-killing rut. It will rob the joy. Anybody in here can testify with me that constantly living as if what you have is not enough rips the joy out of your life. Amen. It destroys the it, It's a joy-killer. How do I climb out of that rut? <laughs> I realize my eye is the lamp of my body, and it's going to bring in light and health. And I fix that on what is actually supremely valuable. And every time I look to Jesus, I remember I am dependent on his generosity and his goodness and his sovereignty toward me. And it makes me glad to just open my hands and say, God, everything I have is yours. Do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. I, I'll tell you that our culture is built to move you in a 180-degree opposite direction of this. That's why we struggle. It's why when I, talk, when I bring up the word tithe, everything in you gets into some weird knot that you don't know how to get undone. Because outside of this building is the culture of more. More. I need a little more. Give me some more. So where are you this morning? Let me just ask you that. What are the things that have a grip on your life? Are you struggling with coveting things that aren't yours? Are you struggling, are, are you struggling with the darkness of more? We've got to discipline our hearts to guard the treasure. Here's the third thing that happens when we get this kingdom perspective. We display a devotion that glorifies God. Jesus says, when you begin to see the treasure that really matters, and you begin to stand guard over that treasure by seeing me as supremely valuable, something amazing is going to happen in your life, and that is this. God is going to be glorified in a way you never thought possible, and you are going to be satisfied in a way that you never thought possible. Look at what he says in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot Everybody say cannot. cannot. You cannot serve God and money. So what does it look like to serve money? What does that look like? When money is our master, 
It means we are trusting it to bring order into our lives. We are putting our confidence in it, into what we own or in what we hope to own. Serving money is calculating all of our behaviors, all of our life, and everything we do to maximize the benefit money can give us. That's serving money. I'm going to do everything in my life to maximize the benefit. It's to get more. So what does it mean to serve God then? Well, let's stay right there where Jesus puts us. Serving God then means to calculate all of my behaviors, all of my life, everything that I do to maximize the benefit and the pleasure and the joy that I get from God. It is all of my life is set up to make the most of the pleasures and the satisfaction that I get from Jesus and what he can do for me. You know what Luke 12 calls this? Jesus, later in Luke chapter 12, he calls this, he says it this way, that is being rich in God. That's how he says it. It's being rich in being rich toward God. This means, church, that we have counted God as our riches. He's a, God is our riches, not what I own. That doesn't make me rich. Your wealth is not displayed in what you have and what you keep. Fr financial freedom is seen in what I give away. That's where I find freedom. Financial freedom is seen when I open my hands and I give to the church the way God commanded and I give to the poor the way he commanded and I find ways to be generous. When I am doing that, here's what I'm proclaiming. Money is not my God and I am not its slave. I'm not its slave. But when I hear God's word say, this is how my people live. They give a tithe. They live generously. They walk obediently. And when those things aren't a reality in your life, you're actually declaring, I am not free from money and I am its slave. I belong to it. And I don't tell my money where to go. My money just tells me where it went. So where are you this morning with this? Where are you? Are you seeing Jesus as the greater treasure? I know that this is hard. But when we walk this way, it displays for all the world to see a devotion to the God that we find supremely satisfying, more valuable than anything this world has to offer. Now, I know that for many of us, we hear this, we go, man, that sounds amazing. Sounds awesome. But if I do that, I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. I, if I do what you're saying, um, there is not going to be enough for us to get by. So, now what, preacher? Right? I want you to see what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12 when he's talking about this being rich in God and he's calling them to a life of obedience with their finances. And here's what he says. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus, in these few words, is stacking for us pictures of God that are transformative. He says, fear not, little flock. Well, if we're the flock, then we better have a what? A shepherd. 
So he's the shepherd. For it is your father's good pleasure. He's our father. To give us the kingdom. He's the king. And what Jesus is saying is that your shepherd who wants to direct and steward all of the resources you have through your life and your good father who owns them and gave them to you and the king who wants to be glorified in you is calling you to a different way. But when you do this, you can know it is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I want to live a life that demonstrates money does not own me. There are two guys that come to mind in, the, in, in God's word that I, I think are two, two very different pictures of this. You remember the rich young ruler? Remember he came to uh, Jesus. He said, what must I do to have eternal life? And what did Jesus say? Sell all your possessions and go give it to the poor. And what did he do? He just walked away. He saw Jesus, but he didn't see him as the greater treasure. Another man, very wealthy man, named Zacchaeus, who was living the dream. This guy had some money. Um, he saw Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, he saw the treasure. He saw the treasure of Jesus. He saw him as supremely satisfying. And by the time their conversation was over, Zacchaeus said this, Jesus, I'm going to take everything that I have and I'm going to go give it to the poor. And all these people I've defrauded to become a rich man, I'm going to give to them four times over. Two very different people saw Jesus. Only one of them made him the treasure. Well, how are you going to respond to Christ? Is he the treasure of your life? So I want to give you some practical steps this morning as we're kind of kind of wrapping up, some practical things I think you can do to begin to move in this direction. One is this, don't walk out and leave this here, okay? Walk out and let this resonate for a little while. I want you to go home, and if you're married, have a conversation with your spouse. Have a conversation with your spouse and ask yourself, um, where are we overspending? Where do we have frivolous spending in our life? Examine the family budget. That's always fun, you know? When you examine where every single dollar you've spent has gone. But do that. Do an inventory. Where, where are we wasting? Are we telling our money where to go, or is it just telling us at the end of the month where it went? Do that. If you're single, do that over your, your budget. Look at it. Examine it. Be honest. Here's the other thing. I'm going to challenge you. If you aren't taking the step of obedience and tithing, just hear me. This has nothing to do with the church needs more money. This has to do with the people of God need to express themselves in their obedience and faithfulness and joy in God by just, taking the, just doing what he told us to. Take the first step of obedience. Just the first step. You said, yeah, but it, it says it's got to be 10%. I can't do that. Well, but take a step. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. Do 1%. It doesn't matter to me. Create space for God to get involved. And what you'll find is as your joy increases in the 1%, you want it to be 5 And as your joy in God increases in the 5%, you can't wait for it to be 10 And you start saying no to things you don't need so you can say yes to the thing that is pouring out the windows of heaven and blessing in your life. 
Start somewhere. Take the first step. Okay? If tithing is a great rhythm that you keep in your life, and you've set that as a discipline in God, you, and you're already doing that, awesome. I want you to take the next step of generosity, which is, God, how can I create room to open my hands to the world around me, to be generous to those who need it most? How do I do that? That's my challenge to you this morning. My prayer is that God's word has been a blessing, um, that as we go, we would go seeing Jesus as the greater treasure. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us and, and for the power of your word. And Lord, we confessed on the front end that every single one of us need direction and correction and grace around this issue. So Lord, I pray that as we leave, we will receive that correction and we will walk in that grace and that we will find our obedience to you here. We love you. Thank you for loving us in Jesus' name.